And here's and, my and like the latest right poll now. that came out, like the Emerson polling that I saw earlier today, had DeSantis down to 16%, like he's been cut like in half since the last poll. He's doing really bad. And the more people see him, and, and by the way, people in Florida who know Ron DeSantis have long said the more people get to know the guy, the less they like him. That's something that we did discuss on the show months and months and months ago about Ron DeSantis. And it's really been proven true. It's every time the guy is on TV, every time people hear his whiny freaking voice and everything that he does, even the people who think would support him, like a lot of these radical kind of MAGA politicians, even somebody like Kevin McCarthy, they're like, dude, what the heck are you doing, man? Stop it, you loser. You big loser. And that's what we're just that's what we keep seeing. And now like, he he's gotten himself his impulsiveness really has consequences on his own state. And you're seeing this especially with the whole Disney issue right now. I mean DeSantis Disney filed a First Amendment lawsuit against Ron DeSantis and the board that he had implemented to oversee the Reedy Creek district, basically minutes after uh, that board tried to take control of the district yesterday. And Disney, like, did I, re- I read the lawsuit. Like, the lawsuit, it, it, it alleges constitutional violations for the contracts clause, the takings clause, the due process clause, First Amendment violations. And they called DeSantis out. They're like, listen, this is a straight-up free speech issue. In America, the government cannot punish you for speaking your mind. It's the clearest cut case on the planet. And this case has already been assigned to an Obama appointed judge in Florida. I mean, I don't think this looks good at all for DeSantis. And now you see all these Republicans even, both in Ron DeSantis's state and around the country being like, dude, this ain't it. But they still have to kind of draw that line because they still have to play to like their woke base. So they're caught in like this weird situation where they're both sizing it while they want to criticize Ron DeSantis. They want to get their brownie points with Trump. They want to act like, you know, oh, look, we're the pro-business people and Ron DeSantis, that's his, that's his whole weird thing. But then in the same breath, these people are like, but actually, businesses should stay out of issues. They shouldn't. They should never speak up. They should just basically what Laura Ingram said to you know LeBron James. They should just shut up and dribble. You know that's basically what they are saying to these companies. And so you had like a one-two punch today. You had Marco Rubio and Kevin McCarthy both coming out to slam Ron DeSantis for all the Disney stuff. I'll play you at least Kevin McCarthy for now. But you just listen. Listen to his weaselly way of trying to play both sides of this. I think the governor should sit down with him. I don't think the idea of building a prison next to a place that you bring your family is the best idea. <laughs> I think it would be much better if you sat down and solved the problem. But for the same point, if you're going to be a large employer inside this uh, state, you should also abide by the rules and run your business and don't think you should get into politics. Okay, but when, uh, run your business and don't get into politics, meaning you can't take ever a position on anything? I mean, well, you can take whatever position you want. You can take whatever position you want, but remember, if you if you're elected to run a business, that's what your shareholders want you to do. Look, when when I, when I was young and I played a game Frogger, uh, if, since you had Bobby on to good games, the only time I got ran over when I got out of my lane. So the one thing I think, if you're elected to do your job, do your job, and things will work out okay. But retribution, just that aspect of it. I mean, I would think you wouldn't want Democrats or Republicans going after companies that are big. Well, well, I think if you, if you listen to my first uh, answer to this question, that's exactly what I said. Sit down and find your differences and solve them. <laughs>
Jordy, you're going to say what I'm going to say. You're talking about the Frogger part? I'm just going to talk. Why, why does Kevin McCarthy continue to go on CNBC and get owned? Like, this isn't the first time. I don't even think it's the second time. This might be the fourth or fifth time now that he's gone on that network and just, to his shame, just takes it. And we talk about just the fact that the Frogger, like the Frogger reference comes out. Like, wait, 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 what are these people talking about? So this like, is the thing. This is what we say. When they leave their little MAGA bubble of Fox News and Newsmax, it's like they, they don't know what to do with their hands sort of thing. They, they, they're just <laughs> utterly incompetent. Well, when I when I when, like when I was a kid and I would play Frogger, uh, like the okay, stop talking about Frogger, man. Just raise the debt ceiling, <laughs> be, be be normal, please. And it's just a bunch of word salad that he basically. These are the freaking Citizens United people. These are the freaking corporations. Are people people? That's who these people are. And they're like, actually, businesses should not have a First Amendment right. They actually they shouldn't actually speak out on issues that they concern their business or their customers. They should just be quiet and, and just do their business. And then he says like. That the, the the people who run Disney are elected, and I don't, I don't even know. I truthfully don't even know what Kevin McCarthy is trying to say, other than trying to play every single angle of this, and it's just embarrassing. Weasel. It's like, listen, you can't punish businesses for saying something you disagree with in this country. That's not what you do. So take your weaponization committee BS and get the hell out of here with it. I mean, it's it's just absolutely ridiculous. At the end of the day. What you're doing is a clear violation of the Constitution, whether you want to say it out loud or not. Couldn't agree more with you, Brett. And uh, shifting gears briefly to this E. Jean Carroll trial, we've had two days. Judge Lewis Kaplan, the federal judge presiding over this, runs an efficient, efficient courtroom. They finished jury selection basically by lunch on huh. Wednesday. On the first day, they picked a, they picked a jury. You got nine jurors and a few alternates. Um, the jury was fully seated. You had opening statements take place on the first day, um, and then you, you know, already had uh, a witness called who worked at Bergdorf Goodman. And then you've had E. Jean Carroll give complete her direct testimony, and then you had uh, Joe Takapina cross-examine E. Jean Carroll uh, until the conclusion of Thursday. Court is in recess on Friday, so they go back into court on Monday. But I think you could be lined up to have a jury verdict, I think, by next Thursday. Donald Trump has not shown up thus far. I don't believe he's going to show up. Um, uh, they're going to play his deposition during uh, E. Jean Carroll's case in chief. That's part of, a, I think, a very sophisticated strategy here because E. Jean Carroll did so well during her testimony. She was so brave and so courageous um, and just did a, a, an incredible job. Um, you know, when Joe Takapina looked like such a bully and he looked like, you know, just, uh, he looked horrible and she just did so well. Um, and so huh. if you then play Donald Trump's deposition testimony, you're then going to show other people who experienced the same horrific conduct by Donald Trump. You'll have other witnesses. You'll have other witnesses E. Jean Carroll spoke to. You'll have the Access Hollywood tape plays where Donald Trump brags about engaging in this most horrific and despicable and disgusting conduct. Um, and then you play his video deposition where he did horrible. Then you rest. And I want everybody to think about this strategically, the optics. When the judge says, okay, 
plaintiff rests, defense, you may put on a witness. And Joe Takapina goes, Your Honor, we rest. The defense rests. <laughs> and they don't call Donald Trump. That Donald Trump does not show up to give testimony to try to defend himself. And you think about it, a civil case is not beyond a reasonable doubt, right? The jury has to find by a preponderance of evidence. In federal court, there has to be a unanimous jury, so it has to be a nine to zero decision, otherwise the jury will be hung. But what they have to find is just more likely than not, that the scales tip 51% to E. Jean Carroll's side of the story versus Donald Trump, right? And if she introduces all of this evidence, and again, you know, the, the hardest part in these types of cases is putting your client on, and she did a fantastic, fantastic job. Um, then you put all this other overwhelming evidence, other victims testify, the Access Hollywood tape plays, Donald Trump's deposition where he says the most despicable things, then you rest. And then Takapina <laughs> says, I'm not calling someone. <laughs> and the jury goes, he's not even going to show up. That's going to be a massive moment. And that's <laughs> why Roberta Kaplan could have subpoenaed Donald Trump to show up. But this is where lawyering and the strategy behind it is so important. And you would never think that that's the right move. You would normally think, of course you bring Donald Trump in. You get his ass there, you make him testify. She's making a smart decision here. Also, her whole team of lawyers, Eugene Carroll's law firm, Roberta Kaplan's law firm, some of the most incredible tactical lawyering I have seen like one of like the opening pitch perfect the direct exam pitch perfect like any issues that you would think may be concerning to the jury they didn't hide the ball so why was it that that happened how come you did that can you explain to the jury so by the time Takapina did the cross everything had already been discussed you it's a mat as a lawyer it's like watching like Da Vinci in his prime with these lawyers <laughs> what these lawyers are doing. No, and on the contrary, watching Takapina and Trump's lawyers, it's whatever the opposite of that is they are. And so it's really been a quite, uh, quite a sight to see or at least to see the reporting that we're getting from the folks who are in the courtroom. I, I definitely personally want to give a huge shout out and send all my love to Eugene Carroll. I mean, I, I truthfully cannot imagine how excruciating it is for her to relive what has to be the most horrific moment in her life and be that raw and emotional and talk, you know, so explicitly about what Donald Trump did to her on the stand while Joe Takapina, like a bully, yells at her and calls her, her basically a liar on the stand. I mean, it, it's just think about what she is going through. And Eugene Carroll has been on the Midas Touch podcast. We've had some incredible conversations with her. And I just have so much love and respect for Eugene. So huge shout out. I mean, you know, we, we, when we talk about these issues a lot, you know, it's it's often like, you know, Trump versus this person, this versus that, you know, but there are real people with real lived experiences. And so I just want to make sure that, um, you know, that we, we give each and Carol the appropriate love here and, and, and send our regards to her, which, you know, is a is a very serious, yeah, it has to just be a very hard media. experience for her. But, 
You know, she's got the best team. Literally, I don't think you could have a better legal team on this case. And so, you know, I'm I'm happy for her, and I'm thrilled that she is finally getting her voice heard and her side of the story told. I think it's so important. And finally, President Biden. We talked about this at the top of the show. Announced that he is running for re-election. I'll make one more point about uh, E. E Jean Carroll, though. Um, Was that Donald Trump's posts that he's been making? have not gone over too great with this federal judge, which is an understatement. Donald Trump does his standard post where he calls it a scam and all of these things. But there have been motions to preclude um, these types of statements that Donald Trump's making in the courthouse. And because he's technically supposed to be there, like he's not required to be there, it's a civil case, you're not required to. So when he's not showing up though and he's making these statements, outside of the courtroom as these extrajudicial statements, he technically is now a defendant in an active case where he's violating the court orders which preclude certain things from going in front of the jury because they're prejudicial or false or irrelevant or just MAGA-ish conspiracies. And he tries to spread those things on his social media platform. So the judge basically said to Joe Takapina, you may start have to looking at some other United States statutes, referring to criminal statutes, if Donald Trump keeps it up. And then Eric Trump tried to impress his daddy. And so Eric Trump did his own did his own post. And then the, the judge, you know, said, oh, you should tell Eric too. Eric took it down immediately um, while Donald Trump still kept his post up. All right, going to President Biden. President Biden announced he's running for re-election. I think the message is a very, very strong campaign message. Um, it's the results. It's the production. It's what he's a accomplished, but then he's running on freedom, and he's running on the fact that these MAGA Republicans, for all the things that we discuss on the Midas Dutch podcast, are taking away American freedoms, and the MAGA Republicans are the ones who are using government to harass people, to intimidate people, to control the bodies of women, to control who you can marry, to um, try to literally you know, not recognize the existence of the trans community, like like using government for the most horrific, horrific of things. And it is a pro-freedom platform. And I just think that, you know, Hakeem Jeffries' message is that. You see the Democrats' messaging is on point. And I think we'll be hearing more and more about that. And finally, Brett, you want to tell us about the good news with Congressman Jamie Raskin. Jamie Raskin. I mean, everybody, huge shout out to Jamie Raskin, who just finished his chemotherapy, which is really, really exciting. He rang the bell today in the hospital and then thanked the medical staff. And when I saw this video, you know, my I, I welled up a little bit. I'm not going to lie, folks. I had a big smile. Um, Jamie Raskin is such a fighter and just such a good person like let's put politics aside and the fact that i think he's an incredible politician jamie raskin just seems like a really incredible human being and we've also had jamie raskin on the show and had a great interview with him a few months back if you want to look it up on on youtube or on the podcast you can check out our interview with jamie raskin um, but just want to send my love jamie raskin put out a letter today i'll read part of it he said dear america having now finished chemotherapy and rung the bell with my nurses and doctors having a midterm PET scan report showing negative for any discernible cancer cells, and having a preliminary diagnosis of being in remission 
from diffuse large B-cell lymphoma with a 90% prognosis of no relapse. I am overwhelmed with gratitude and love. And the letter goes on from there. I want to play just the video uh, because I think it's just, it it brought a smile to my face. Us when you're asking, ringing the bell today. And uh, once again, gotta love the guy. So shout out to Jamie Raskin. Congratulations on the road to recovery. Cancer is in remission. We send all the best and all our love to Jamie Raskin and his family. Uh, you know, I think it's always good to end on a, on a bit of positivity. Um, and, you know, I think there's nothing better, nothing better than that. Well, you know, look, data is important. This was a data-filled show to take you into the weekend. We discussed a lot. We covered a lot of issues. Everybody out there, if you can, if you're watching this just on YouTube, please, Make sure you subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast wherever you get your audio podcast. It's like the simplest way you can help out if you are a YouTube watcher. So just, just find whatever you use. If it's Spotify, if it's Apple, if it's Stitcher, if it's Google, whatever you use, just after the show, search Midas Touch podcast and make sure you subscribe on audio as well. Make sure you share and spread the word as well about the Midas Touch podcast, about this network, to friends, family, coworkers, colleagues, everybody that uh, you know. We really appreciate that. That's one of the best ways you can help. If you can, become a member of our Patreon. If you can, no worries about it at all. We don't have outside investors, and so one of the ways we're able to fund this network is through our Patreon. It's not the best business model, but uh, nonetheless, it makes it so that we're very, very kind of community-focused and movement-focused. So you just go to patreon.com slash Midas Touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Midas Touch, or just go on Patreon and search Midas Touch. There's one of the membership tiers where you can become an honorary producer. Let's go. At the end of the show, Thank you to our honorary producers and all of our patrons at the Midas Touch Patreon site. Also, check out store.midastouch.com for the best pro-democracy gear. 100% union made, 100% made in the United States, which is great right there. And then we'll just take everyone out, Brett, I think, by uh, showing you all this video of the meeting between, you know, you know how Trump meets with Kim Jong-un and brags about the letters? Well, President Biden meets with our allies, and so the difference between Donald Trump acting obedient and like a loser in front of Kim Jong-un, and you compare that to President Biden having fun with our actual ally, uh, the leader of South Korea, the South Korean president, I just want to play this moment from their uh, dinner that they had last night. Play the clip. We know this is uh, one of your favorite songs, American Pie. American Pie가 가장 좋아하는 곡 중에 하나시다고 들었습니다. Yes, that's true. Yes, when I was in going to school, it was one of my favorite songs. Well, we wanted to hear you sing it. It's been a while, but. I read that. 
during that same period of January 3rd to January 6th, did you or anybody on your campaign or congressional staff provide any information of any sort to anyone in connection with January 6th demonstrations? I don't think so. I don't think so. And did you have members of the public visit your congressional office between January 3rd and January 6th? During that period from January 3rd to January 6th, um, did anyone from your congressional office or your campaign provide maps for the, the location of offices within the Capitol to anybody? No. no. We got our keys to my office on January 3rd. I, I couldn't even find where the bathroom was most of the time. <laughs> you, you know why I'm asking these questions, don't you, Representative Green? I have no idea why you're asking this question. Representative Green, you're familiar with the significance of the year 1776 in U.S. history, right? Yes. 1776 is the year that the Declaration of Independence was signed, right? Mm -hmm. And that was a statement uh, by representatives of the 13 colonies that they were no longer subject to the authority of the British Crown, right? They were declared, it was the Declaration of Independence from the British Crown. Right. And in fact, you may recall this from your studies, the Declaration of uh, Independence refers to King George as a tyrant, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sure it may say that somewhere in the history books. I don't have the history books in front of me, and I don't know which one you're referring to. But. Well, I'm referring to the Declaration of Independence. That's the one that says that King George was a tyrant unfit to be a ruler of a free people. Are you quoting the declaration? Yes. Okay. Well, you, you'll accept that thing, won't you? If you're quoting it. Okay. And you would agree that when a government acts tyrannically, then it's unfit to be the ruler of a free people. You're typically against tyrannical governments, yeah. Good. Um, and the people who... Um, wrote the Declaration of Independence, they were working with other people in the colonies to express their independence from Britain, right? I wasn't alive back then, but there's the history. I'm not a, I'm not a history expert, but... Well, you've heard of the American Revolution, haven't you? Of course I have. Okay. And you know that the American Revolution was a violent rebellion against British rule in the colonies. And there was a government in Britain that was ruling the colonies, right? Uh, America was trying to start our own government. Right. And to do that, they had to get rid of the British colonial officials who were here in America and throw them out. They, yes. And they viewed... was because it is a call for civil war.
1776. She should be charged with it. Inciting. British officials here and the Crown in Britain as a tyrannical government, right? Okay. And that was an insurrection. Wouldn't you agree? The American Revolution was an insurrection against the government? I don't believe it. I don't know where it says that. Well, I'm asking you whether or not you agree that the American Revolution was an insurrection against the British government. I believe it was the, the American Revolution was is part of our history where we separated from uh, from the Crown and started our own government. Right. And the separation was brought about by violence, right? There was a revolutionary war. Dog whistle, duh. Oh, do you recall talking about that topic? I've talked about the Declaration of Independence, but I don't know what it is. Okay. Yeah, um, fucking lawyer. Well, one of the occasions where you talked about the Declaration of Independence was in connection with January 6th, right? I don't know. Okay. Let's go to um, plaintiffs. Prosecution team. Twenty-six, twenty-twenty-one. Right. If you could play the clip, please. 
Entering Congress with pipe bombs in a bag. Said to show her a picture of herself from the surveillance camera holding a bag that probably held pipe bombs. meetings with Got it. And 
backwards because of the video, but the doors t-shirts says um Fuck I am 1776% sure that no one is taking my guns. Do you agree that that's what it says? Yeah. Okay. Come on, um, man. So, play the video. I, I this is the best you can get. Fucked up. In any way we can. Let's establish that. Um, 
Representative Green, this is the statement that you made in an interview with Mr. Doar in October of 2020, right? That is a very partial cut off and pasted statement. Uh, that is me speaking that my sentences are cut off, my full message is not And in that statement, what you say is if you can defend yourself, you can stop a tyrannical government. However, if they take away your guns, you can never stop a tyrannical government. Right? Correct. Okay. We believe that. Absolutely. Okay. And in fact, what was done in 1776 was to stop a tyrannical government with guns. There? Sure. Yeah. And, and that was to use violence against a tyrannical government. Get that clear. No, they were they were trying to get rid of a tyrannical government. There was a lot of I mean it was a big process. It was a big build up there before the revolutionary war. What the whole purpose was not to be done for that. What is the narrative that you're trying to push in? What did you mean when you said that uh, once you lose your freedom, it has to be earned with the price of blood? Well, once, I, I've always said I'm against violence, and I've always said I never want people to die in this country. Never. I've said that over and over again in my speeches, and the reason why I say that is because I don't want to see war here on American soil. I have three children that are young adults, and I never want to see my children fighting a war earning back our freedom. And I said that. That's what I'm talking about. It wasn't Earned with the price of blood is a reference to violence. The price of blood is the unfortunate and tragic cost of war. And that's what happened in the Revolutionary War. And, and that's what I'm talking about. And you know that... Um, the term 1776 is actually a term that's sometimes used in politics today. I don't know if you've noticed that scale here in Georgia. I know they're not from Georgia. But as you can see, we see in Georgia, I think, we're proud of them. 1776 is our right. And it's also a term that's used in political discourse in America today. I don't use it as a term of violence. But you use it as a term, right? I have used it as a term, but I do not use it as a term of violence. We're, 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 not, we're not up to that yet. I'll, uh, you'll have your chance I to understand. answer the question you want to answer. You have to start by answering that question, okay? Um, you acknowledge that 1776 is a term that you use in political discourse today, right? Yes. And in fact, one of the examples of 1776 that we use in political discourse today is the that Mr. Doar was wearing in the interview that we just saw, right? We saw 1776 backwards on a t-shirt. Right. And you understood that t-shirt to mean that people need to possess firearms in order to oppose a tyrannical government. I don't recall even, I don't remember seeing his t-shirt that day when I saw him. The only time I'm paying attention to is when I'm because of Okay, but as you sit here today, you understand that what that t-shirt the political message is that people need to possess firearms in order to oppose the tyrannical government. I don't necessarily understand what you're saying. I'm just asking whether you have that understanding or not. I think it's more kind of a push a narrative 
As we sit here today, Representative Green, we know that that term, 1776, has been used in connection with events of January 6, 2001. Well, you yourself have used the term 1776 to describe the events of January 6, 1776 to describe to, in response to a question from the move mass broadcasters, right? Well, you, he asked you, what is your plan? What are you prepared to have go down tomorrow on January 6th? And your response was, tomorrow is our 
great success suing C-O-U-Y Griffin out of office, exclamation point. He was a New Mexico commissioner who took part in the January 6th insurrection. Let's do the same thing with the rest of them. Let's flush it. Now, when you said, uh, this is our 1776 moment, you knew that some of the people who felt that Donald Trump was the rightful winner of the 2020 election used that term to refer 
to the possibility of violence on January 6th, 2021? No, we haven't heard anyone talking about violence for January 6th. You've never heard anyone, you've never heard about anyone using the term 1776 to refer to the possibility of, let me finish my question, Representative. I don't mean to cut you off and please don't cut me off. You've never heard anybody say, use the term 1776 as a code word for violence to occur on January 6, 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Are you familiar with the group called the Proud Boys? I've heard of them. And you know that the Proud Boys, um, it has developed, had a written plan for conduct on January 6, 2021. No, I did not know. Okay. Um, the Proud Boys are an extremist violent group. Do you agree with that? I don't know much about the Proud Boys. You've never heard that they're a violent group? I've heard about them. I don't know what they do. I, I don't know much about the Proud Boys. You haven't heard that the written plan attributed to the Cowboys for January 6th is called 1776 return. No, Never I have no idea anything about that. Never heard that. Okay. Let's pull up uh, PX39. Ms. Green, did you see a story in the New York Times or in any other publication or media outlet in March of 2022 about the Proud Boys having a written plan to storm government buildings on January 6th? No, I've never heard of that. Uh, never heard that that was called 1776 returns, that plan that the government alleges Proud Boys had to storm government buildings. You were aware prior to January 6th of 1776 referred to an idea or a plan for people who were opposed to the certification of the electoral college vote to infiltrate and occupy 
buildings with these two. No. Never heard that. No. Um, And you were aware prior to January 6, 2021, that 1776 was the term that people were using to describe a plan or an idea to physically interfere and prevent the electoral college vote. No, I don't know anything about that. Okay. You can put that to one side. We um, talked a little bit about a person named Allie Alexander this morning. Do you remember that testimony? And you said it's somebody you've met on a number of occasions, is that fair? I'm going to ask you to have a look at just the first 10 seconds of the video. It's just a person not even speaking. And tell me if you can identify that person, okay? This is part three, by so the way. Avoid the disinformation, avoid the division. We are here. This is called Marjorie Perjury Trader Green Re Election Challenge Hearing, part three, Fox 5, Atlanta, Georgia. <clears throat>
Do you have any explanation for why you feel that way? <laughs> he describes himself as a, as you, as a friend of his, right? Let's put that on the video. If Marge gets arrested for perjury, will it be the Gaspacho police that puts a handcuff on her? So if he says he was Marge. a friend of Marge. Yours, he would be lying. <clears throat> she's been taking this on videos for their followers, or 